to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan, and we're in the same room. Look at that. We're mixing it up a little bit for this episode, but welcome. Uh, now getting into season four uh, and still doing our uh, Breaking Down Bits virtual mic. Had a good time this week with some comics from all over the all over the nation, all, of, all over the world popping in there. Um, working out some new bits, getting feedback. It's a real, it's a nice little fun, positive place where you can kind of take risks and kind of try material out that maybe you're not quite ready to take to a regular mic. Uh, and you get some great feedback from some wonderful comics. Yeah. Comics from all over the world that we do currently on Tuesday evenings. That's 9 PM Eastern. If you want to get in on that, you can email us at breaking down bits at gmail.com. Just let us know you want a spot. Also get to us on social media. You can get to us at Breaking Down Bits on all the special places we put it, except for Twitter, Breaking Down Bit, bit. Singular just, com, just one. or at, at Breaking Down Bit, and send us uh, just a personal message, private message, letting us know you want to be on the mic, and we'll get you on it. So it's have been a lot of fun. Good time to talk about our last episode. Yeah, one of one of my favorite episodes. Something I kind of I think I just really needed that episode when it happened because it was something I was personally kind of working through. Uh, in my comedy um, with uh, Aristotle Georgeson, a.k.a. Blake Weber. Um, the thing that I, that I really took away the most was bringing the audience into your show, bring, making the audience kind of part of your show and maybe the focus of your show. If you want to do it, that's what he does because huge like uh, UCB improv background for him. He's super sharp, super fast, and he definitely does stand up different than your traditional so that was the thing that just that hit me to go like, hey, do your thing, whatever your thing is. If you can bring the audience into your show, make them feel like it's about them a little more. Um, it's a great technique. It's really fun. I've been trying to do more of the crowd work, making it more about the audience. And it's given me some like fresh breath and uh, a little fresh view on comedy for me. Absolutely. I felt the same way. My callback for the episode with Aristotle was the idea that he took Blake Weber, who was a character, and it was a character in a point in time when vaping was at its peak, is the way he explained it, mm -hmm. and it was working so well on stage, and then he took that off stage and started creating online content, and that stuff blew up and eventually went viral, and it's changed his, the path of his career. And so as comics look to think about how can they transcend stand-up and bring comedy to people through these new mediums, yeah. think about any character that you've done on stage, perhaps that can become something that you can use in your social media presence. So yeah. make sure you go back and check out that episode with Aristotle Georgeson. Uh, that's the kickoff to season four. And then our full catalog, still available, Spotify, uh, Apple, Google, anywhere you get your podcast, YouTube, you can get uh, all wonderful episodes and, and helping me and, and a lot of people grow as comics. Yeah, there's something for everybody in there. No matter what you're working through in your comedy, no matter what your interests are, you're going to find a podcast in there that's going to give you some fun insight. And uh, man, I'm super pumped about the artists and the comedians we've had in the past and in the future. Some really fun episodes coming, including uh, what we're about to do right now. Absolutely. So get back to our any of our podcasts. The best way to get to everything is breakingdownbits.com. So it sounds like we are ready to bring in our guest. Lewis Katz is an internationally headlining comedian whose television appearances include NBC's Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, HBO's Down and Dirty with Jim Norton, and most recently, Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. Lewis was also a regularly featured writer correspondent on FX's Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. His own half-hour special also aired on Comedy Central, which coincided with the release of his debut comedy album, If These Balls Could Talk, on Comedy Central Records. His latest album, Cats Kills, was released in 2018 on 800 Pound Gorilla Records. Louis Katz, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I appreciate it. I didn't realize it, four seasons before you got to me. That's a little, that hurts a little <laughs> bit. I didn't realize that. That's a, well, whatever. It's, it's good to be here now. It's good to be here now. Let's be positive. <laughs> well, welcome. 
<laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks for having me. And and also, I don't. These aren't. Those aren't my hats. Those are someone else's hats. I know a bald man should have a collection of hats, but I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've shunned the hat. I'm just going straight bald now. So those are not. That's not my cowboy hat. Whatever that, that right there. I think you look great in a cowboy hat. You should definitely try it. I mean, I need something. So maybe that'll be the key to my success. <laughs> yeah. I need a podcast when I can just wear a fucking cowboy hat. My friend tried that actually. Jasper Red. You ever seen his special? I think it's on. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think he was ever wearing cowboy hats, and then on a special, he just wore a cowboy hat. I have to ask him how he thinks that turned out for him, but <laughs> it was a trip. <laughs> I mean, black dude in a cowboy hat, that's going to stand out a little bit. Sure, and then there's, uh, what's his name, uh, Dusty Slay, who has owned the trucker hat mullet combo, you know? It's just like Oh, that's a good move. That's a good yeah. move, it's more of a signature. I mean, like, I don't really have a lot of choices. With my, <laughs> I, need a, I, I have to shave my head now because I'm bald. And if I don't have a beard, it's just too much white skin. It's just a lot of whiteness glaring <laughs> at everyone. So this is this. I don't really have a choice regarding looks. This is what I got. So yeah, maybe cowboy hat, wig. I've considered. Yeah. You know, we'll see. Well, you, well, you look great, Louis. Thank and, you. Uh, you've had a, a great career. Uh, one of the things we like to do up top is really understand the trajectory of your career in the context that a lot of folks that are listening to this are newer comics people who haven't got into comedy yet. And they always want to know, like, where are the big breaks? How do we how do we get in front of these big opportunities? I mean, obviously, everybody talks about funny first. There's no question you got to be mm -hmm. funny first. But uh, just talk to us a little bit about your story, about your background, and and, uh, and how you get to have some of these great opportunities. Well, I started comedy in the, um, in the Bay Area, so San Francisco Bay Area, in San Francisco and Oakland. And... Um, uh, that was actually, I mean, to me, that's, that's kind of the key, I think is I, this. And I started so long ago that comedy is literally, it's, it's literally different now than it was, but I still think starting in a smaller scene before you move to a bigger scene is still a, 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 a good idea. Um, and, and, you know, especially, mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, I'd say San Francisco is one of the stronger comedy cities. Traditionally, it's one of the big, like B cities, you know, we call it, although like, since then every city has its own little comedy scene, but, but the Bay has a comedy tradition. Um, so yeah, I started there, uh, and that, that helped out a lot. And as I started there, I was working at that time. There was really, it was comedy was very kind of segregated. There were black rooms in Oakland and mostly white rooms in San Francisco, but I would do both. So that's another thing you got to get on stage, not only as much as you can, but in front of as many different audiences as you can. Um, which can be a problem of some of the smaller scenes. Like if it's too small, it's um, um, like, for example, I, uh, I've actually just spent a month in new Orleans, just kind of doing the comedy scene there. And for some reason, even though it's uh, uh, well, it's just, it just, you get a lot of like 20 something hipsters in the room at all these indie comedy shows. Cause there's no comedy club in new Orleans. Right. So it's just the pe those are the people who go. So, it's a very specific niche. And then, you know, you try and take those jokes in front of other people. It's not going to do as well. So it's, it's good to be in front of different crowds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I started in the Bay. Um, and, uh, I really didn't move out of there till I'd already, uh, I'd gotten, I went to Montreal and got an agent and, um, how did I do that? Well, there was, that's the other good thing was, I would say also being in a scene where there's a comedy club that's a nurturing good comedy club for the scene is important because, um, well, several things. One thing, and this is an advantage over people, even New York comics, that you can get in a smaller town is that you start emceeing or, and then featuring for visiting comics. Those are your connections when you move to the bigger city. And people don't realize that. In, in, here in New York, you don't, you don't, they don't, no one ever, because um, people bring their own feature. They don't go hang out when the bigger headliners playing the headline clubs like uh, uh, the Gotham or Carolines. And um, so that was like a huge advantage of mine uh, starting out in the Bay Area was a there's there was two clubs there. We would there was a there's a punchline mm -hmm. San Francisco. Well, there's Cobbs, too, but there's the punchline had a San Francisco location and a Sacramento location. So that's two different clubs. I learned club hosting and uh, feature club etiquette in general, which is another thing you have to learn at a comedy club. I'm, I guess I'm saying this because I, um, I think one of the, one of the advantages of coming up in the Bay area and one of the, uh, 
and and a thing that that Bay Area comedians kind of have in common, if if anything, is that there's like club chops with like a more of an indie alt comedy sensibility. So we know how to work a club, even though we our style, you know, we can we can appeal to both, but we still know that you have to be able to work a club. Um, but yeah, anyway, because you know, it's kind of cool because I was I've always been kind of a little bit blue or a little dirty, and because of that, they only booked me with uh, dirty comics from the get go because that's the only people I could open for. And because of that, I made really cool connections that are still connections to this day. Like, you know, one of the first comedians I opened for was Dave Attell and, and Doug Stanhope. And, you know, Dave, I'm still, I'm good friends with him. I'm, I'm working with him tonight. So, you know, those connections can really last you a long time. And, you know, I've gotten writing gigs from people I've opened for. I opened for Greg Fitzsimmons and he, he, uh, he booked, he hired me to do a writing gig. So it's, it's really, I think it's really important to do that. But then also back in the day, you know, they did, and I don't know how JFL does showcases now, but like the club kind of booked the showcase for, for the, um, Montreal audition. So mm. by being in with the club, not only was I making those connections, but I also, um, got a chance to audition for Montreal and it took, I mean, I think it's still kind of tradition that they, even the first year they see you, no matter what they say, no, I think it's almost like just the way they do it, you know, and who knows if Montreal is even the thing anymore, but, um, that's what got me there. And, and in the callbacks in LA, before I even went to Montreal, an agent saw me at the callbacks. The callback was crazy. It was at this bar called Miyagi's, which is on Sunset Strip. It's no longer there anymore. It's this crazy Japanese restaurant with like a Japanese garden in the middle of the restaurant. So it's a, you're on stage, but then there's a restaurant with like little tiny bridges going through it. <laughs> 24 comics were supposed to do five minutes. No one is doing five minutes. Everyone's running the light. And I, I shit you not, dead last. I'm going dead last, 24 comics. And somehow it was the, I was the bit I was doing, I guess the, the advantage was the bit I was doing was kind of ranty. So by the time I'm getting up there, I'm, the anger is real, you know? And, <laughs> and I brought it. And afterwards, this guy in a suit comes up to me. And I'm like, I don't even know. I'm like, why are you wearing a suit? Like, what a fucking weirdo. And it was an agent from Gersh, which I didn't even... I didn't, I didn't know what an agency was. I didn't know any of that. And he just started talking to me. And then next thing, the next day I'm having brunch in Beverly Hills. And then I had an agent for a while, for a while, not anymore, but I had one for a minute. So that was nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was the first break was getting Montreal and um, getting an agent from that. And then the agent, you know, um, agents, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about agents, but uh, I'd say one of the pluses is that, especially when you're starting out, they they had me um, featuring on the road for John Heffron, who was a winner of Last Comic Standing, and that was amazing for me. I mean, that was a year, like a year or two years. I don't know how many years. I can't actually. I can't remember now. But I was. Uh, I got to see so many different clubs. I got to, you know, his audience isn't necessarily my audience. My, you know, whatever. And, but I still learned how to work them. And that was like a really great experience just to learn how to do the road and to, to, to grow as a comedian, as a feature. So that was, that's the other thing is like linking up either through working the club or through an agent, however you can to feature for a comedian is a great way to grow. Um, should I just keep going or do you have questions or I can just keep going. If you want. I'd love to, I'd love to go back and just for a second, uh, step in and go back to the club etiquette that you learned and the mm -hmm. things that you learned at the club. Maybe don't have to go too deep into it, but maybe for people who just have no clue what that is, maybe that right now some new comics are just doing bar sure. shows and stuff sure. like that. What is, what is kind of the stuff that would be included in club etiquette that you learned? Well, these are things that, um, that aren't even necessarily like some of them aren't even necessarily accepted at or, or seem deemed necessary at all clubs. But I, I really do think most, if you had to generalize, most uh, comedians would appreciate it. Like, um, I mean, I remember I always make sure to, uh, I say, give it up for the wait staff too. And like, man, the staff fucking, they thank me afterwards. They're like, no one says that. I remind them to please tip the wait staff, which is like, it sounds corny or whatever. I do that. You know what I mean? I mean, just knowing, you know, there's there's everything from the simple etiquette, which is pretty much, I mean, even an indie show should know this to like put the mic stand behind you, right? You know, so it's not in front of you. So that's 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 like number one. Um, little things like not saying if you're a host, not saying your first comic, saying your next comic. I know that's nitpicky and not really that big of a deal, but you were a comic, so you know they're they're not the first comic. You were the first comic. 
Um, knowing that for the first few minutes when you get up there, they um, the crowd isn't really going to be paying attention. So a kind of a trick that I do is I just keep making them, I make them keep clapping. Oh, this per like this is this is emceeing stuff. So that's what I'm saying. A lot of it comes from, um, you know, not running the light. You better not run the fucking light. Uh, um, also, I mean personally, and and some hosts do this, but I think it's a good thing not to do too much crowd work up top because you don't know, you don't want to, you don't want to. Um, kind of step on that for any comic coming after you that does crowd work. So that's a, that's a big thing for sure. Um, and getting, get, staying the fuck out of a waitress's way, like making sure wherever you stand is not in front of anyone's way, making sure you tip the, the, the wait staff, not only tip them, but tip them extra. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're getting free drinks, you're tipping at least two bucks at least, you know, because it's a free drink. So tip double, you know, um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, that kind of, I mean, like, you know, I would say, oh, here's a, here's a great one that, that somehow people don't, uh, seem to understand. Don't bring your whole fucking crew into the green room. If it's not your show. I mean, it's ridiculous <laughs> what I've seen sometimes it's like, like there's not even a place to sit down sometimes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm the headliner here. Like what the fuck is going on? Some people really don't seem to do that. I know it's very egalitarian and that the green room, you know, comedy is, is nice like that where the green room typically most headliners are really cool with sharing it with everybody and i'm cool with sharing it with everybody but i need a place to sit down in my own green room if it's my show you know what i mean so just be um know that the green room is probably for you too but feel it out and when someone else is headlining know that it's their space it's their world and, and you're living in it you know what i mean and uh yeah. and always ask for permission before you're selling merch how about that for another one um this is just off the top of my head so yeah i'd say all those kind of for, for starters. Yeah. That's really good insight. You know, so, sometimes, uh, you know, obviously if you're a new comic, you go in and learn that stuff by, by trial <laughs> and error <laughs> and error, of course, uh, or, yeah. or you're just kind of making it up as you go. So I think maybe that's very helpful. Thanks for sharing all that. No problem. Uh, the, uh, and you mentioned for a while you were running without an agent, you're able to, to discover an agent. And you said, uh, that, you know, you've got different feelings about, agents uh, and maybe you've worked with a few over the time course of your career yeah. uh, once you get to that point once you're once you're working with an agent what are some things that you found that that are that are beneficial um you did mention you you know getting connected on the road with with, with that one comic but um what are some of the other side what's the, the things that you, you find troublesome or difficult they take your money they want some of your money <laughs> yeah. so uh i uh it's good when you make money and they don't take any of it that's the best you know <laughs> but then maybe you're making less money because they're not out there hustling for you i mean the problem you know everything one to one degree or another right now it's all about the internet and for for better or for worse and um and so that means that you can build up all this heat on the internet but they kind of expect you to do that so it's kind of like it's a weird thing where it's like they Agents and um, managers these days seem to make you want to create something and create some own heat, and then they can work with that. But you're like, man, if I had that heat, I wouldn't fucking need you. But what you have to realize is sometimes it's, they can help you get to the next level or get opportunities you didn't even hear about, hopefully. I mean, like, a lot of the times it's frustrating. You know, you're, you expect this agent or manager, maybe you're trying to write, to, to send you writing packets, and there's times when, like, you will um, hear about it from your friends before you hear about it from them. And that's pretty frustrating. Um, they can be weird about like small independent gigs. You know what I mean? They don't want to work with, which is, you know, a very cool thing that you can now do is there's, there's um, indie road gigs where you can actually make, you know, make road money, but you have to put them together and deal with little local producers. Agents don't want to deal with that. So then you have to hunt, hunt that down. Also, like, I wish I'd realized that, um, the agent got me into the clubs as this feature act when I was with John Heffron and it was up to me to then make the connections. I guess I also leaned on the agent. I was like, okay, I have an agent. So they get me work and never think that the agent supplements you like it, they don't, they don't take over. You still have to do, you know, you have to like, if you're, if they send you to the club, then you have to talk to the booker when you're there. If, and Hey, I'd love to come back. You know what I mean? Like you should lay that shit down because <clears throat> a, it's the personal relationships are so important and B, you know, maybe that you won't be with that agent when it comes around next year and you're trying to get, get, um, <clears throat> get that work. Also, I thing to know about agencies, they have different departments and <clears throat> this is a problem that often comes up is that, um, the person that's that, that, you know, that 
that that kind of signed you that that hunted you down or whatever it, the agent the agent man you know everyone says an agent or a manager the uh, metaphor is kind of it's like dating it's like i mean minus the fucking it is like exactly like dating so you want <laughs> you want a manager or agent who like you want you want to be on the lookout for one but you also want one that wants you you know what i'm saying so and and the crazy thing is is that like sometimes it should be that these different um sections of the agency have synergy and work together properly but sometimes they'll actually be in competition with each other so if someone if you are you know like say so so at gersh i had a pa agent which is public appearance that's for bookings and stuff like that they could never really get me a good writing agent on board you know because i've been brought in by this public appearance agent and so you know you're stuck with not and, and it's weird, like, so you first time with the agency, a lot of times you'll sit down with everybody and then some of them you never see again, you know, and maybe some agencies aren't like that and some are, but, but that's, that's definitely an issue that I had is that like, depending on who signed you initially, that's really the department that has the most enthusiasm about you. I, I knew you'd be good for a good rant on that. Uh, so <laughs> I got more to say. I mean, like, here's, a, here's one <laughs> that I'm saving if I ever, uh, if Andy Kindler dies and I get to do, um, and I get to do his address at JFL. I'll say um, there's a, you know, Jews do a lot of jobs. You know, the, the, the smart Jews are all doctors and lawyers. The creative Jews are writers and, and comedians. And the bleeding heart Jews do all uh, uh, philanthropy and stuff like that. And then there had to be a job for the dumb Jews. And that's where the agents and managers come in. <laughs> the dumbest Jews you'll ever fucking meet. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> What, what I the net that I took from that though is if you get an agent and and like you said maybe it's a PA public appearance agent and that's their strength like you said there's a fallacy that they've got you covered and they don't and so recognize that in that in that scenario then you need to focus on finding those writing gigs and that needs to be where you need to focus your energy so so kind of work off the strengths that that agency gives you and then realize what you need to supplement to to, to really exactly supplement is the key it's supplemental by the way and also i should say like in case it's not obvious by the face of the name i am jewish so that last joke you know, <laughs> i just want people to know that uh, um yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, sup it's a supplement. It's like it it aids you, and also you know another thing to remember is they work for you, man. I know that rank like they're an established agent, but if you want something, you got to let them know. And if you don't want something, you got to let them know. And if you feel strongly about something, you got to let them know. Like like in the end, it's up to you. So you know, keep that in mind. I know it's a, a weird power situation if you're a newer act. You don't want to be a dick, but I'm just saying, like you know, if it's not. You have to you have to go with your heart and go with your gut as an artist, despite what they say. Even if what they say say might be best, they think it might be best. You have, you know, so keep that in mind. Even though they might rank ahead of you because they're more experienced in the entertainment industry, do you? You know. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a jump in and start talking about uh, writing a little bit. At this point, um, we like to just start off with a huge open-ended question: How does Louis Katz write comedy? Oh well, um, I'm like a, a stand-up. Stand-up, you mean, right? Um, well, Just all kinds of st okay. Comedy. So, uh, well, stand-up, I can. I'm like, a, I don't write on stage as much as a lot of comedians do. I feel like most comedians write on stage. I actually sit down and write. Um, sometimes I used to when I started out. I would write. I mean, you can see like I've I have the same I have the same document from when I first started comedy. So you can see how I wrote all these bits and I would try one sentence every like 50 different ways. I never, I also never erase anything. So yeah. I keep everything there and I like count syllables. I think there's a, um, you know, it's about keeping it tighter, how, how you can get there's less, least syllables. And also like rhythm can make a, um, a joke funny in the syllable count. So I would pay mm -hmm. attention to that. Now these days I don't, I don't tend to, write everything out word for word as much because when you're trying to write you're basically trying to write dialogue and it's much easier just to go on stage and like have an idea of what you're saying and you just say it the way you would say it and then it comes out like a regular human you know but sometimes <laughs> you know i do notice that even now it's like i'm trying to just uh freestyle on stage and it can i start getting rambly and then sometimes i have to sit down and say okay what's a shorter quicker way i can say what i'm trying to say um, so, so I do sit down, I do, uh, try and write bits. 
I used to have like a main, when I started, I had a main word, well, I, a main word doc. And then once a bit became a bit, I would move it into its own document. Now I use like an Ever, Evernote for like a note taking program that's on my phone and on my computer. And it's kind of become my main word processing um, program that I use. Uh, so basically I'll just have bits that are, um, you know, I just have a bit and I work on it. And then if I have other bits on the same topic, I can merge those together. Uh, I really stopped using paper just because even though I don't love writing on my phone when I have an idea, just the idea that it's a searchable index is like fucking amazing. Cause literally like, I think I've only lost one notebook. I kept a paper notebook probably for 15 years. I lost one in all that time. But at the same time, it's like, once I was done with the notebook, the chance of me going back and looking through it, you know what I mean? I just, I just didn't do it as much. And even, even with the Evernote, it's still a problem. But now that it's searchable, so I'm, if I'm trying to write jokes about my dad, I can put in dad or something that I, you know, I can remember one word from a bit. Like, oh, I know I said that. That'll be, you know, uniquely there. And then I can find it. So that's very helpful. Um, but yeah, and then, I, then another trick that I use um, is... Um, and I, I think I listened to one, so like an on, there's, there's those great on comedy series with, um, they have, I think, Carlin, Seinfeld, and Woody Allen. They're like audio interviews, like pre-podcasts. Mm -hmm. It's basically a podcast, but this is pre-podcast when they did them. And I, I can't remember if I took this from them or I was doing it and I realized they did it too. I think it's Woody Allen, but um, I think a great writing tool is to do the, um, all the questions, like the journalistic question or the question, the, the question words, you know, like, uh, so if you have a bit about something, say you have a bit about um, fucking pens. I don't know. I got a pen here, you know? So who, who gave me the pen? What kind of pen is it? Where did you get the pen? Why do you like this pen? How does this pen, you know what I mean? You ask yourself all those questions about mm -hmm. something and it can really expand a bit out. And of course it doesn't mean that the bit's going to go in all those directions, but you bring it back in after that. And you also like, it's crazy. All those bullshit, like, I don't know if you ever took a writing class, take an English class, they make you do like a free association thing. You're like, what is this? How does it help? Man, I use that shit all the time. Like, I just think of like, what does this remind me of? You know what I mean? And then, and then, and then I just write, I just kind of go off on tangents and it really helps free, free your mind up for different things. And also like, I think also listening a lot, like when you're writing a monologue joke or commenting on someone, like, you have to have a good ear because you're listening for details and something you can make a joke about. Like at the top of the show, when you guys said we're four seasons in, like I was like, okay, I can make a joke about, you know what I mean? Cause I'm, cause I'm actually paying attention and like, that's something I could make a joke about. So that's another, uh, another tip I would say. Um, as far as like writing other stuff, I find actually, and after, I mean, I've been doing comedy 20 years now, so it's stand up is, I don't want to say easy cause it's always hard, but it's, relatively easy i can sit down and do it i can sit down and come up with something to try that night maybe it won't work but it'll come out um but as far as like narrative stuff and like scripts and stuff like that i really prefer to work with a writing partner it's much easier for me to do that you know if you train yourself to really write stand-up it can almost hurt you for other kinds of writing because not that you shouldn't do it but i'm just saying like um you know the thing about stand-up is you get to try every draft of a joke you get to try it every single fucking draft. You can change a word and say, all right, I'm gonna try that on the next show. I'm gonna try that on the next show. You can't write a script like that. You just have to write the whole script and be like, I'm really bad at, at having like a, what they call a vomit draft or just like a shit first draft. I'm horrible at that. And I think it's because of standup where I like, I write something and then I want to try it out or I think uh, maybe there's a different way to do it. And you'll notice that people that are really good at standup are kind of bad at sometimes other, that other kind of writing because of that, you know, some of them aren't, but I've noticed that some people are, and I'm learning to get past that. But for me, it's like really, it's helps to work with a partner. And in fact, the last project I worked on, I had two partners, which is great because, um, I mean, that's bad because if you write a spec script, you know, they don't want to, they want to, you can use a spec pilot to get a writing job. And if there's more than one person on there, they can't really use it as a writing sample. But on mm -hmm. the other side, besides that industry bullshit, I found like three people, you can vote it out. Like it makes it run real quick. Like, all right, two out of three. Well, that's that. You know, it's like, it's as long as there's an odd number of people, it's like you just vote and it's done, you know? So yeah. those are, that's uh, some of my different processes right there. Reminds me a lot of, uh, the, you, you talk about a lot of the same stuff that Scott Dickers brought up, the guy who co-founded The Onion. 
Oh, cool. Uh, he's a huge proponent of writing a, a terrible, terrible first draft. He's just like, do it. Don't, doesn't matter how bad it is. Put it on yeah. paper. You can punch it up later. And also kind of sort of the who, what, when, where, why questions. You know, he's got the 11 funny filters. If you, if you, if you maybe checked out his book, uh, how to write funny, you know, it's kind of like the who, what, when, where, but it's using the different types of humor, whether it be um, misdirections or hyperbole and all that kind of stuff. And so I love that idea about the giving yourself different questions or filters to run a situation or association through to get to like build more width uh, and more places to go that you might not have just came to naturally through your course of thinking. Sure. And the, and, and the, the cool thing about the where, when, why is just expanding its subject matter, but it's not like the kind of jokes like those 11 filters sound like, but actually speaking on those 11 filters thing, like, Th those things are help like once I read that I read a section of that uh Judy Gold's comedy books like how to do comedy and you know I like I like made fun of it all the time and then I read it I'm like wow this is really breaking it down pretty well <laughs> but you know you kind of get it's kind of like a little bit like music where like all those things like really they should be in your head already from listening to a lot of stand-up and from you know like so for me instead of like and it's always been this way because it's just, I never used a book like that I think, oh, a joke like this could go here. Oh, a joke like that could go here. And I, I really think it's really important also, personally, to um, switch up the style of joke that you have. Like, I don't like, I mean, I, I don't like when someone's like all Mr. X. I find it, I find it, I get it. It's like, I, I get it already. You know what I mean? Now, some people, yeah. it's kind of like, like Jesselnik is like, you know, they're all Mr. X and they're still surprising somehow. So it's kind of a <laughs> trick within a trick. But yeah. I still think it's good to switch up the writing. An analogy here, uh, you know, a word thing there, or, or, you know, a, a paint a picture here. It's like so. I think really think it's good to switch it up because a lot of it is about surprise, and you want to keep the audience surprised. Yeah, you can. I I don't do it as much as I should, but I've got a spreadsheet of the jokes that I'm that I'm working on, especially the ones I've tried on stage. And one thing kind of to your Evernote point, you can put some columns in there and say, oh, this is a misdirect joke. This is a, a, a dating joke or whatever. So as you kind of, you can sort and go, man, my set is full of this. And you might not notice it until you put it on paper yeah. and go, ah, all my jokes are kind of the same. Let's, let's put something different in there. And you, you might also want to do that with topics because that's, that's one thing that'll, that'll fuck you up is like, you know, if you have, um, or even words, like if a word hinges on, if a joke hinges on a certain word, you know, you're going to want to spread those out in a set. And sometimes like two things that are slightly similar will work in like a 45 minute set because they're half an hour apart, but you're doing five, 10 minutes. It's like, especially if it's like, you know, if you're, if you're complaining about dating or something and you put those and you're kind of bitching about it as a, as a straight dude. And then you put those jokes, all those jokes together. It's like, and you sound like a little bit like you hate women. Like you gotta, you gotta <laughs> spread them out. You know what I mean? So, so like just bury them. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta put them at one point and another point. So it doesn't seem like this guy, like, you know what I mean? Like, especially when it comes to a shorter set, you have to realize what it is, you know, like we, you, sometimes you're not thinking about it because you're picking random jokes and all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, all, this is all me complaining about women. I really sound like an asshole. You know, you can't, you can't do that all the time. So it's good to switch it up, not just stylistically, but also subject matter as well. Good yeah. point. And you're kind of ahead of us. One of our normal questions is how do you design a set list? And you did, you, you brought in the, the idea that you have stylistic changes and pace changes to, to mm -hmm. keep the surprise going and also topical changes. Any other things that you'd consider when you're developing a set list, maybe for like a New York showcase, 10, 15? Well, you know, typically, um, Typically, I like to. I have a you know an opener that's uh, quick, as quick to a joke. You know, you want a strong. Everyone knows strong opener, strong closer. Usually, and also I like to start. Usually, like to start a little bit cleaner and and save the dirtier stuff towards the end, just to get them on my side first. You can't always do that, and sometimes it doesn't matter. But it's nice to have an opener that that gets the crowd really quickly, so they 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 believe that you're funny and then you have you built up some goodwill with them um and then i just kind of like to you know if you have newer material you know uh something strong to end with something strong to start with if you have newer material make sure you have other stronger jokes that you can sandwich it between so you can if it bombs shake it off onto the next joke it doesn't matter um 
and yeah, and, and and do try and switch it up a little bit. Like I realized I had, like I said, like right now I have like all these. Well, everything's crazy right now because we're getting right back into stand up. But you know, if I have too many um, kind of sexual jokes, I want to put in some more social political commentary in between, so it doesn't sound one note. You know, and I definitely think about that and try and like bounce between those two things. You know, even though you know, I probably could just ride out the sex jokes forever. I, I think it's better to switch it up. And also, like I said, like that way I can maybe get away with using um, a joke that hinges on a word. You know, it's funny. You know, everyone says like, oh, comedians, just dick jokes. And I was always like, man, I don't have, I don't tell dick jokes. What is this dick joke thing? And then I just realized I have a ton of pussy jokes. That's my <laughs> thing. So I'm still doing it. It's like, I can only have one or two per album or hour that I'm doing. And I've now I've built up like four of them. It's like these, I can't, A, the joke, every joke shouldn't hinge on that, and B, like, I, I just got to write about something else, but it's just what's That's on my mind, I don't know. It's an interesting point about switching up and, and, and moving away from topics, because I think that a lot of our natural instincts as a comic, or at least for me, is to put a big chunk of the same topic together, so you kind of build momentum, but yeah, I think it, it's an interesting yeah. point. When do you, yeah, how do you decide, like, okay, I don't want to stay here for so long. They kind of get bored with it. Let's move. Let's move it around. No, no. That's definitely also a thing to do is you realize jokes were late and you can get into them. And like a lot of times, like I, I, I work on, I don't think segues actually matter, but to me, segues matter because they help me memorize my set. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know if I'm, if I, it's kind of like, it's weird. Cause I actually need to reexamine my segues because I think a lot of times they are just that it's just a way for me to remember how to get into it. And it doesn't really have to do with what I'm actually talking about necessarily, <clears throat> but it really helps out. Like when you're trying to memorize, you know, an hour 45 to an hour worth of material. Oh, I start talking about this and then it could lead to this, that, and the other thing, you know what I mean? So it just really helps. Like if I just start talking about, I live in Brooklyn or I live in New York, then I have like five bits that I think of as in that section, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they're kind of different topics, but um, you know, and so, so I, I actually don't think it's, there's anything wrong with like putting a big chunk together. It's just when you, it's more like when you accidentally do it, you know what I mean? It's like, you just said, Oh, I can do this joke, that joke and that joke. And like, Oh shit, these are all the same thing. And it doesn't look right. But of course, like building a bit like that is, is, is excellent. And a chunk of material that's all in one subject. And also I, you know, I always look out for those things that are like a perfect, what I think of as like the perfect late night spot. I love when someone does like four minutes on like, one topic or like or the way gaffigan just like like takes one topic and just leaves nothing on the bone i mean i fucking love it you know it's like why even write about that subject anymore he's so good so I, I generally i think it's okay it's more like when i'm talking about maybe i'm maybe i'm really am talking about like it's not just sex jokes but it's like really if like if you if you're a straight guy and you're talking about dating you're probably complaining about dating which means you're kind of complaining about your interactions with women and you sound like a dick after a while like this is my own this is talking about myself so just like chop that up you know what i mean like spread it around it's 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 like no one's going to be mad if you talk about camping for five minutes or ten minutes unless someone's like a park ranger or whatever you know <laughs> so you know it's it's a specific thing where you have to realize like is talking about this one subject making me come off like a certain way and if you are that way, fine. But if you're not, fucking switch it up. Well, it's good because you're you're coming from a place of empathy, and I think a lot of comics forget that there's people in seats in the club or in the show that you've got to consider, and it's not just about you and your material. And then you compound that with what Drew and you were talking about, which I need to do more of, is cataloging yeah. your jokes and finding different ways to connect jokes. So you know, yeah. you've got the pussy connection, of course, which is your favorite topic, but mm -hmm. like. How else might those be able to connect? What are, you know, whether it's a word in the set, the type of joke, and then find those different ways to catalog, especially since we have these cool tools like Excel yeah. and, and Evernote where you can do some of that work. And then you can build sets um, more strategically with empathy yeah. and, and more complete. Yeah, there's yeah. a balance there, right? I guess you want to be yourself. You want to share your sense of humor. But with comedy, as as many people have said on this podcast, it's entertainment. It's, yeah, it's entertainment. It's not necessarily art in some ways. The audience has to like it or you, know, yeah. you want at least to have an audience that does like it. So it's getting yeah. that in mind. It's, as I always say, it's like the, the, I think maybe the art form closest to it is actually being a chef. 
because uh, you can't serve up some food and people are like this is if if it's if people are like this food is nasty you have failed as a chef you can't be like well it tastes good to me like nah man it's got to <laughs> taste good and i and i also like what you're saying about empathy i mean i'm big on empathy in general in life and it's hard because there takes you i think comedy actually takes some of it takes a little bit of a lack of empathy turning off empathy so it's good to to turn it off for the joke, but also to still have it, to still recognize what you're saying, what is the meaning behind it. If you want to say this thing that might hurt someone, be okay with saying it. And like, but think about it. You know what I mean? Like really think about it for a second, you know? Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, that's just like, that's all on a philosophical thing. I just think empathy is so important and you do have to turn it off. Like it's one of the things about like, I can't stand an audience that like, oh, is a joke. Like, it's like, turn off your empathy right now we are just being funny, and the, and people don't understand that that, yeah. that in in making fun of something or not making fun of in making a joke about something, there's an empathy to that as well. Some people find it a, to be a lack of empathy, but I think there's a really if you're writing a thoughtful joke, there's a way that it is empathetic to joke about something. I think. Yeah. Before we get into your clip, one more quick question about a writing and performance. What do you do the moments before you get on stage? Um, do you have any sort of pre-game uh, thing that you do, at, like in maybe um, those last moments before you, before you step out and start your set? Well, I always have water with me. Just um, I always have water. It doesn't matter if it's a five-minute set. I want a, some water on stage with me. I like it as a second to think. I like get dry mouth. I wish I had more fucking tea right now. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, I need water. I got to hydrate all the time. So I always have water. Um, and I, I mean, sometimes I usually, sometimes I write a set list. Sometimes I don't these days, but no, I, I guess I usually have an idea of what I want to do, but I mean, I don't know, simple, simple as, um, I mean, these days, mostly what I'm doing before I get on stage is making sure my phone is ready to record and I'm recording. Like, I just like, I recorded every single fucking set. I'm not saying I've listened to all of them, but I recorded, I maybe have missed a few of them and I swear to God. Like the three that I didn't record in the 20 years of doing comedy are the three I wished I recorded. Like I record, <laughs> I mean, I swear it's like everything. Right. And and also like what I'm saying with the rhythm thing, it's like um, you can, I mean, you know, you ever have that diminishing returns thing where a joke worked forever and then stopped working. Sometimes yeah. it's a rhythm thing. Sometimes you got to go back mm -hmm. to the tape where you, where you did, where it killed and you can, if you mm -hmm. listen really closely, oh, I'm, I'm pausing that much more. I'm saying it with this much emphasis. And it really makes a difference. So I'm not only am I getting set up to tape, but it's like I'm putting my my phone in airplane mode so it won't fuck up the recording if someone calls and then I'm setting up to record. So I'm basically like between the water and setting up my phone, like that's where my mind is at, water and phone. And nowadays in New York, it's like and bringing the fresh microphone to the stage so we can switch out microphones in this performance of, yeah. of COVID uh, prevention, which is, I, I mean, like – we're all in a room together, man. Either you're vaccinated or you're not, and you're either going to get it or you're not. The microphone thing is kind of silly at this point, but I, I appreciate that they're trying to look out for us, I guess. Yeah, that fumble. I did a set in New York last week at the stand, and like that first moments of fumbling with that microphone cord just killed. It buried me. I mean, it was seconds, but in your head, it's a minute, you know. And we just don't do that in Texas. We don't give a shit down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, but it really. Go ahead. Oh, I say I really do love that idea about when a that's so crazy. I think we all have a bit that used to work and doesn't anymore. And you're, it, there's always this big question mark like that used to work. What happened? And I love the idea. Go back and find that recording where it worked. Yeah. And notice yeah. how you're doing it differently. I love that tip. Yeah. Granted, sometimes it can just be, um, you know, it's the, the 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 curse of new jokes. It's the enthusiasm of doing it for the first time. You're excited about it. They can tell you're excited about it. And you just can't, you can't manufacture that first time excitement. And it was really riding off. That was the whole, uh, that was what was fueling the joke from the beginning. But sometimes it is a little rhythm thing and, and you can, you can figure it out. I, I've done it for real. It's well, just it's a little cocaine to get that excitement back. And yeah, then man. you can nail that <laughs> joke again. Yeah. Quick One tip. bump and you're good to go. <laughs> you're uh, to, to go even nerdier than probably all of us on this, on this podcast, maybe people listening at home. If you wanted to catalog those recordings and make sure you, you write in your set list, which jokes, you know, usually we, we have one or two words that yeah. identify a joke. 
that can pay off big time. If you, if you're like, Hey man, this joke to Louis point isn't hitting and it hasn't been hitting for the last couple sets, put them, stack them next to each other and listen to those three sets over time. Go back to when it used to work. So you have that capability to, to help yeah, you. You could well. probably drop that in Evernote probably, or, or whatever. You could probably drop a recording and a set list together. You, you can, you can do that. I've never know. For some reason I'm having a problem with my new, with the new Evernote or my new phone doing that. But I've, I've definitely done that where I, uh, I take a, a recording and I put it in the bit that's about like, this was the best time I did it. And I put it, I put it in the, in this note. That's about that joke. I've, I've done that for sure. I need to do something like that, which I will never do it. <laughs> I will never. Right. I'm not but saying you do it. Your... You're, you're never organized to do it for everything. But like, right. if you have yeah. a joke that like finally hit right, like you'll know, you'll remember. It's like, you can't do that for everyone, but like, you'll, you'll remember when it's the one that time, like, Oh, that, that hit. Damn, let me let me see at what this was, you know? It's yeah. not, I mean, if you just think about it though, it's not a lot of work to be like, stop hitting record, rename the file, put it in your thing, and then go on with your night. I mean, shit, I, it sounds so easy, I'll never do it. Uh, <laughs> You're not gonna do it that night, do it the next next time you sit down to write, you know? Yeah. Like, you will remember, you're working on that bit, that bit went good the other day, you're not gonna forget, it's two days later, you know? Do it then. Let me let me cue up the clip and we'll do it with a disclaimer. And 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 I, I love this clip. It's a it's from a this is not happening from Comedy Central, hosted by Roy Wood Jr. And this specific episode uh, was about relationships and storytelling. And, mm -hmm. we, and we chose a segment from that clip, so it doesn't quite do Louis. It's a fifteen minute you know story, so it doesn't do it justice. But there are some great hits in there. But I wanted to pick pick this one specifically because we have a show that we run and we do a relationship show. And we do a uh -huh. storytelling show. And cool. I've found in those performances some of the best growth that I've had as a comic, you know, as 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 somebody, you know, you know, in New York, you only get those those showcase spots and you only have 10 to 15 minutes and you're trying to hit as many jokes as you can. This gives mm -hmm. you an opportunity to stretch out your legs and, and do longer form bits, stuff that you do on on 45 minute hour sets. And totally. uh, and so in this one that we're looking at here, masterfully done. Uh, anything Thank you remember you. about this recording that day uh, that you can share with us when you, when you did this? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. You want me to do it now or after the yeah, after yeah, the? Kind of queue it up with what we're gonna that, about that well, day. Well, yeah, this was a. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a fifteen minute story, man. And there's not. It was very. It was the hardest thing I've ever. It was the hardest thing I've ever done to stand up. I never bombed as much as when I was uh, <laughs> prepping to do this story because. There's actually, there are story. I didn't realize there's a whole storytelling scene, at least in New York, that's different from stand-up, kind of birthed by the moth and the NPR shit. And the story is too sad for stand-up, and it's too funny for storytelling. So no one liked it anywhere, no matter where I went. It was incredibly hard to work out. And, uh, I mean, honestly, like, I was struggling with the thing uh, – up until the, the week before I was supposed to tape, I went back to the bake to try and work it out there because I could get longer sets there. It was really hard to find places where, you know, I can do this long of a set. Like, I think it ends up being, oh, it's actually over 15 minutes. So, like, no one wants to give you that much time and just to work and just to make everyone sad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but it's also, like, sad. And what I realized I was doing is there's this, um, at least it happened to me, and I think this happens to other people, you get in that fucking NPR storyteller rhythm. You start yeah. talking in this thing and, and, and what that rhythm is, it's cueing the audience to say, this is serious. And, mm. and it's also not how I deliver my standup, you know? And someone, my friend pointed it out to me literally like two days before I was taping and I'm like, okay. And then the next time I did it was the first time I really worked all the way through. I just delivered it like I was delivering standup. And all of a sudden, it's crushing again. So, I, I mean, that was like that was the big thing on it. It was incredibly hard to prep for. It's such a long story. There's so many different bits. I mean, honestly, like I don't think my performance on this is as good as it could be because I'm still trying to remember all the lines, man. Like, I, I, it's all fresh. I'm punching it up like the week before, and um, and uh, um, uh, and it was it was still like fresh in my head. It wasn't it wasn't to that like. When you're taping an album or a special, you want the material to like it just flowing through you. You don't have to think about it. This was not like I had to <laughs> be like performing and remembering what the fuck I was saying because I'm adding lines week of the delivery. I just kind of nailed it down that literally week of and uh, and somehow I'm telling you and also craziest. It's like the they rarely usually when you or when I've taped things in the past, you're like 
well, this is good for a taping, but it's I've seen it do better. They happened to capture one of the best performances of it also. So that was really great that they, they it was like, granted that was because I finally figured out how to deliver it that week. But, you know, they, they happened to capture, honestly, one of the best times I ever done it. Except I, never, I haven't done the story since then. Um, and of the whole, you know, I don't know how long, months and months that I was working on it, that was one of the best performances ever. So I'm, I'm so glad they, they caught it on tape. I'm not glad about the facial hair choice I made for the <laughs> taping. But, you know, you do what you do. It, you know, it's too late for that. Couldn't agree more. Let me roll the clip. Being cheated on really it fucked me up, man. I, I was completely broken, and I thought the only way I'd ever get better would be if I fell in love again, and I didn't think that was possible. And uh, I was in that mindset still a year later, doing a gig in Portland, Oregon. And after the show, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking for a place to eat. I finally find one place that's open, but sitting out front, blocking the door, are two gutter punks. Uh. Right, all right, one person knows. <laughs> Gutter punks, of course, they're like, you know, they're like the, the young rock and roll homeless. Yeah. Right, always got all the patches on their clothes and the tats and the piercings, looking like a band that went camping and then got super lost. <laughs> He's got a dog that's somehow cleaner than all of them. <laughs> and as I get uh, close to the door, I'm about to walk in. Instead of asking me for change, uh, they get up, follow me into the restaurant. Uh, turns out they weren't homeless, they were the waitstaff. <laughs> yeah, it can be hard to tell in Portland where everyone's dressed like they're in some stage of camping. <laughs> so I go inside and I notice the one that's uh, helping me out, she's actually kind of cute. I'm thinking, oh, I gotta say something cool to impress this fine-ass gutter server. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just traveling through town, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian, I tour all over the place. And she's like, oh, that's, that's really cool. I love to travel, too. Uh, I actually used to hop on trains. I'm like, that's so funny, because when I first saw you, I thought you were homeless. <laughs> Classic pickup line. And believe it or not, it worked. I got her number, and I started talking on the phone regularly with the most uniquely beautiful woman I've ever met in my life. You've never seen anyone like her. I mean, she was nearly six feet tall, part black, part white, part Native American, part Hawaiian. So you see her and you're like, oh, she must be the first of a new master race of Amazonian superwomen. <laughs> or like the world's largest Filipina. <laughs> Plus she had all that gutter punk style, you know, with the tats and the piercings. And she had purple hair and was shaved on the side. I'm like, oh, this is perfect, you know. I could totally picture her defending my honor as we roam through a post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> I was amazing. It was as if the universe was making up for me being cheated on by bringing me my dream girl. You know, God closed the door and then he opens a window and my window happened to be a giant, ethnically ambiguous punk rock chick with big titties. <laughs> Looking like if The Rock was a suicide girl. <laughs> talking on the phone it's that early stage of the relationship we're just getting to know each other and it's like every new thing i'm learning about her just making me more and more into her you know i found out she uh, she she uh, she used to do heroin so you know, that's that's interesting and uh she was uh, starting to strip like cool we both work in nightclubs yeah. uh, she stabbed a skinhead i'm fucking living the dream she had a baby she's totally down to fuck awesome but uh between the baby and the possible manslaughter charge i'm thinking i should not see her anymore so I fly up to Portland to see her some more <laughs> we meet up she shows up she's already pretty drunk proceeds to get drunker we end up sleeping together but we don't have sex because like I said she's very drunk and also remember like she's, she's almost six feet tall it's, it's very awkward trying to have sex with someone that much bigger than you, you know, it's, it's less of a doggy style more of a, a jockey style you know, <laughs> <laughs> very well done louis yeah thanks um, thanks and make sure make sure you all catch the rest of that story because that's that's right in the middle of this thing uh it's online comedy central's website got like two two and a half million views or something like that dude so you, yeah yeah i'm pretty proud of it. it's it's i really think it's my uh as far as stand-up goes it's my best work so yeah I'm, I'm glad that so so many people have seen it 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, right off the bat, just noticing something that probably the problem with storytelling always is that you you have to progress the story in a in a time matter that keeps the audience engaged, but you also have to punch. You have to have punchlines in there. The comedy show, and you do yeah. a really good job of progressing the story. Punch, punch, punch. Progress the story. Punch, punch, punch. And you found you. a really good balance there, which I think is a if anyone's trying to write a more storytelling joke, like that is what, that's the way that you probably want to do it. Yeah. I mean, actually like I was, and I, when I, so I'm, I told you, I, I worked it out as some of these storytelling shows and that's actually kind of frowned upon. They, they want the jokes to come from the, um, from the narrative and not yeah. from adding actual jokes in it. Yeah. But fuck that. I'm a stand-up comedian. So, you know, and what you can see there is like, is uh is is me using who what where when and why right mm -hmm. then i go to portland what's portland like gutter punks what do they look like you know what i mean like what do people in portland look like you know what i mean it's just like every if, if, if you really think about it this is why i don't i don't like well i mean like sometimes you don't have to make a punchline every second but it's like i find me i can find jokes to put in almost everywhere because even as you're progressing the story it might be a little bit of a tangent, but you can think of something funny to say about it. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm in Portland, so I better make a joke about Portland. You know what I mean? Like, any, 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 anything that you're you're saying, you have to look at that sentence that moves the story along, and saying like, is there anywhere in here where I can make a joke or comment on it? And that's 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 what you're seeing there. You know, you did a great job with 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 that. Obviously, the joke writing, but you know, another thing you did really well here is uh, you you lost in the beginning. You know, you get cheated on and it's a very emotional thing. It's the thing that connects a lot of people, but they want you to win at that point. And then it allows you to, to not necessarily punch down, but you can make fun of people now because you've already lost and you can go through and make fun of these gutter puck, uh, punks and make fun of Portland uh, because they want you to win. And, and so I think it really sets up the story um, in, in a way that allows to have them on your side throughout the whole story. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's not. Yeah, it's not in what you guys saw, but that is part of it. And I do think it is. It did help with it a little bit. Was that I was coming from a heartbroken place, and then it kind of understood why. It gave a reason why I was pursuing this uh, ill-fated love. You know, so I, I do think that's that's an important part. Is like setting up the context properly and, and letting people understand like where you're coming from, and also let them be on your side. Honestly, there's parts about the bit that I had to take out because people would not be on my side, which was like, <laughs> which was how old she was, which was semi, always legal, but <laughs> appropriate at the time sounded real sleazy with how old I looked. You know what I mean? It like, it couldn't be like, I was in my like mid twenties and she was like, or late twenties. And she was like 19 at the time I was dating her, which is fine. But you know, as being a guy taping that in my late thirties, I can't be making all these jokes about how she's like, I mean, I think they're funny. Like she's a, you know, cause she's still technically a teenager. So I could use that word, but it's like, people are like, come on, dude, like this is enough. And there's, there's certain things where you like, you can lose that goodwill. Like, um, or sometimes I made more jokes about her having a, a, a kid more. And like, it's just too sad, man. People don't, aren't trying to laugh at it. It just gets too sad. So you really got to balance it. Um, and I'm not saying you should change reality. I mean, this story is like, pretty fucking it's i mean it's just what happened but um you can leave things out if you think it's not helping the the narrative you know it's okay it's it's still yeah. trying to entertain you know it doesn't have to you don't have to be a, um a slave to 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 word for word what happened you know what i mean you can it's like things like bending time like if this thing happened there and then something that happened like two years later just put them next to each other it's okay you know that the story is is 100 real but I, sometimes you just have to like move things together a little quicker just yeah. for the sake of time. And because life is not a story, a story is a story, you know? Also incredibly visual, like so many right. visual references. You can't help but see this thing in your mind with the thought you were homeless and the, and the description of how she looked and the, all those, all those different elements I think really help. I feel like help with storytelling if you can make something visual and someone is seeing it in their mind, then they're engaged, they're following you, they're locked in, you have them and probably helps your punches be stronger because they were in, they were living that in their brain. Uh, totally. And the punch is such a nice misdirect or it comes out of nowhere. And the, 
I don't know. I feel like that's anytime you can add more visual stuff, you, you got to do that. Sure. And that's not, that's not just for storytelling. That's like, and thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, you can use that. That's really for all joke telling. Like, you know, who's really a master of that. And he's the anti-storyteller is David Tell, man. Tell, he's painting pictures with, he's jokes. They're just jokes, but they're painting pictures in your mind. And I also really like a joke that um, sometimes a joke, I wish I had an example of it. They, um, it like implies a whole backstory <laughs> in the picture like so how did you get to like you maybe you actually don't answer all those questions but all of a sudden you're in a i i, I really i i shouldn't bring, bring this up without a good example but i'm just saying like it can work in just stand up as well painting a picture if you listen to david tell with that in mind painting a picture you'll know what i'm talking about he does it just through jokes and it's really um amazing yeah for sure love that you definitely don't have to give every detail but you can imply some things and yeah, um, but yeah, the more I think sometimes new comics, we sometimes we forget to be visual. We're trying to get to the punchline. We're trying to find the funny, and we forget that those little details make everything stronger. It's 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 also here's another writing trick actually that just because it's kind of related is that um um I try and I, I try and get rid of all the academic words in my uh, in my writing. I don't try and use those because it's weird. Sometimes the most efficient way to say something isn't the best way to say something in standup. It just isn't because a lot of the efficient, efficient ways to say something is, um, is uh, telling and not showing. And you want to show, not tell at general mm -hmm. in writing, but especially with standup. So you don't want to say this is an act. This is like an act of um, cultural appropriation. Cause first of all, it's loaded depending on what political side, you know, yeah. you might feel one way or the other, you want to explain and show what you mean by saying something is cultural appropriation. So like, oh, that, you know, this person did, you know, this white person had braids in their hair, a white person with braids. You know what I mean? You don't want to just say it's cultural appropriation. Show me what the fuck it is. You know what I mean? It's, it's so it's like, I always try and un take out the academic words. Don't, or like just yesterday I was trying to write a joke about a, a zero emission car. And I wrote that at first. I want to write a joke about a zero emission car. I'm like, no, like a car that instead of running on gas runs on, you know what I mean? You want to like, you kind of have yeah. to, it's not, it's in some ways it's kind of dumbing it down, but it's also just like painting a clearer picture, right? Cause if you're saying running on gas, you can picture you, you now you're, you're in it more. It's actually, even that's more of a picture than zero emission car. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to fill it up. It runs zero emission is just like a statement if that makes sense yeah i mean not to bring him up again but scott dickers just put out an article and put out a video about dumbing down your comedy a little bit because i mean and sometimes you we overthink it and we as comics we think about our jokes so much we just once again just remembering how the audience is going to hear it how they're going to receive it and writing it in a way that they can in a in a drunken you know comedy bar they're not paying attention yeah they're not coming yeah. to think about deep stuff they're coming to laugh and have a good time yeah totally and that's where the empathy thing comes in again right. you have to feel what they're feeling hearing it for the first time so yes. i mean that's what i've i've realized is such a problem with so many jokes it was all my jokes it was like not all my jokes but so many of my jokes that were i was having problems with it's that the setup wasn't clear because to me it's so obvious and to the these people hearing it for the first time it just isn't so to make that clear and to put yourself in the place of an audience member that could be any different kind of person than you are any, you know, anything They could be any race, any age, any sexual, you know, identity, whatever. And to think, Oh, how might this person take this joke? doesn't mean you have to change it, but you have to understand, try and think how they would take it is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a good transition mm -hmm. uh, because people are going to be walking by your grave for long after you're gone. So we're gonna get into our last segment. It's called Last Laugh. Let me run a graphic real quick. I keep thinking we gotta change that. I never do. It's so terrible. But anyway, all I right. Like that. I think that's good. Yeah, they, okay. Whatever, last <laughs> last laugh. So uh, on your tombstone, the joke that you'll be remembered by, it can be yours, it can be a tells, it can be anybody's uh, that you wanna have on your, your gravestone. What, what do you got, Louie? I want to do, I'm just going to have it be my favorite, your mama joke, which is, I, I believe it's a street joke. It's not even, I don't know who wrote it, but it's uh, just, uh, your mama's got wooden nipples and she breastfeeds beavers. I would just like that. 
<laughs> on my tombstone <laughs> just to give people you know you never see that on a tombstone yeah. and it would just be nice to switch it up a little bit sounds like a monty python joke <laughs> i don't think monty python ever did your mama jokes i think it's it's one thing they never went into but yeah the meeting of monty python and there's that and, one in holy grail when he's like your mother's a hamster and your father smells of elderberry and that kind of <laughs> oh shit do they are you serious yeah, that's on the on the castle. You're right. You're right. My bad. You're totally right. Uh, this is where people can get you on social media, Louie. Of course, you're coming down to do our show in Houston. We're excited about that. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. Great. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, anything else that you wanna you wanna promote or anything else you're working on in place where people can find you? Um, just you know, add me. It's uh, it's at Louis Katz on Twitter, but I think it's at Louis Katz Comedy on um, Instagram. And it's Louis L O U I S, um, and yeah, I'll be in uh, I'll be in Jersey at the beginning of June. I'll be with you guys in Houston towards the end of June, and then in July I'll be in uh, Colorado. I'm doing, I believe, I'm in Denver and Fort Collins and stuff like that, and then I'm in Boston, Boston at the end of that month as well. So uh, uh, I'll be I'll be back on the road this summer. So please come check me out. Absolutely. Calendar's filling up. Also, I saw you're on Altercation Comedy Fest. I'll see you up there in Austin, so that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be in Austin in uh, in uh, the end of October, and I'm doing a little uh, New Orleans Gulf Coast run before that. So, you know, uh, I hit those towns a lot. I'm back in Lafayette, back in New Orleans, back in Hattiesburg, and hopefully be adding a bunch of other towns as well, maybe Mobile, uh, Pensacola, all the all all my favorite places to visit when I'm down there. <laughs> Absolutely, Louis back, man. All right, good good to good to do this with you, man. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, it's been breaking down bits. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com.